It's funny, since since the projector quit, well, you didn't realize how much you rely on a projector. Uh, and then, like, Bird's been working on the projector. We've had people bring us projectors to see if that would work. None of them have fit up there yet. But it's just funny, uh, since Clay broke it, just how how much we've... <laughs> No, it's funny. What's, what is funny about the projector is, as everybody knows, if you've ever turned on the projector, it said for, golly, Cody, what, a decade? Please change the filter. And we're like, ah, we'll get to that. And then it's like, I'm just dead. I'm not going to work anymore. Um, so change your filters, folks. That's your lesson for today. Take that home and everyone jump up there and change the filters at your house. All right. So we're in Matthew 6, but let's do a, let's do a quick update about where we've been so far in prayer as we're about to move into an, another section and really a, a, a very different section here in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So just a reminder about what we've learned about prayer uh, sort of so far, because I know some of you, uh, you know, have missed various things, sections, and, and it's always just good to be uh, good to be reminded. One, prayer is technically asking God to do something. Uh, to pray is to is to ask God, uh, and then uh, we looked at how not to pray. And the reason we start out with how not to pray is why, because that's what Jesus did when his disciples said, "Teach us to pray." He said, "All right." Let me start out by telling you how not to do it. Uh, and so he starts laying out the things they're not supposed to do. And we, we looked at the Bible does give us lots of things that tell us uh, they are a hindrance to prayer by lots of things. There are at least three specifically mentioned in Scripture that these things will keep you from praying. Not things that mess up your prayers, but things that keep you from praying even to begin with. This was that prayer ADD, now, abundance, disobedience, and doubt. That those three things will keep you from praying. If you've got too much, you don't feel the need to pray. If you're doubting, you don't pray because you don't think God listens anyway. And if you're just living in sin, if you're just disobedient, there's not a temptation to pray to the God that you've been sinning against. It just makes sense. But there's also specific ways that the Bible says, but when you are praying, these are things you want to make sure not to do. And so Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 6 as well. Right before we get up to the Lord's Prayer in verse 9, he's laid out all these things to be careful of while you're praying. And so as we're praying, these are the sort of warning uh, or hedges, you could say, to set around your prayer life to make sure that, you know, you don't get too far afield in your uh, in your your quest to God. So we saw the dangers of praying in front of others uh, with your minds on them rather than on the Lord, that while you're praying, all you're thinking about is all the people thinking about how lovely your prayers are. Uh, that, that would be a danger. The other danger is uh, the warning that Jesus prays about, it tells us about long prayers, the danger of long prayers, either praying a long time to impress God uh, or praying a long time because of the people listening, to impress them, to make them think, wow, he's really got a lot. Normally when I pray, I, don't, I just can't pray that long. There must be something impressive about his spiritual life to be able to talk that long. So we saw that Jesus warns the dangers of, of long prayers. We saw the dangers of doubting prayers in James. Uh, James warns us, you know, if you're going to pray, but your, your mind is filled with doubt, uh, there is a danger to that. So you can be praying. And even while you're praying, be going, I don't think God's listening to me, but I know I'm supposed to pray, but I really don't think you're going to do this. Uh, that's a dangerous way to pray. That's a prayer that will not be answered uh, because it is, a, it is a doubting prayer. Don't let that person think that they'll receive anything from the Lord. We saw the danger of worldward prayers where our minds are focused on the world rather than on God. 
So we're praying, uh, wanting, you know, with our mindset on our passions, James says, rather than our mindset on obeying the Lord. So we're still praying, but our minds are really wanting stuff for us. Uh, and we're really worried about us. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in just a second, too. And then we saw the danger Jesus warns us of, the, of praying with our lives, you know, stuffed full with sin. That when we're living in sin and we know it and we don't want to stop, even though we know we're supposed to, we can't expect to then go to God and say, but hey, God, would you do this for me? Uh, Of course, God's not going to answer that. Uh, It it would be bad for you for God to answer that. Silence from the Lord, God tells us, will actually teach us, okay, why is God not answering my prayer? And we'll look at our lives and go, oh, because I've been ignoring him in all of this of my life, and he's just doing the same to me to drive me to to repentance. Uh, And so that was all the how not to pray. Now we're on the how to pray, and we're using the model uh, of Jesus' prayer Uh, This model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, as it's called. uh, And this is where we learn things like that prayers are addressed to the Father. That when we pray, we're praying to our Father in heaven. Uh, So it's always just a good thing to remember when we pray, we're praying to the Father. So we don't, it's funny when you, when you, if you listen to prayers, we sometimes get jumbled about that. We'll be talking, we'll say, dear heavenly father, then we'll start talking to Jesus. uh, And then we might mention the spirit and we get into, it's funny as a pastor, I listen and I'll go, sometimes I'll go, that's an unintentional heresy that you just said there. Uh, Because you're like, father, I'm thankful that you, and you start talking about this. I'm like, well, not really. But anyway, so to to keep out of any unintentional heresy, uh, just remembering we pray uh, to the father. Uh, but he's not just the father. He is our father, our father in heaven. Uh, and then we looked at the things we should be asking. So after telling us who we're praying for in the Lord's prayer there in Matthew 6, Jesus then gives us seven things to be asking, you know, sort of model thing. Like what should, so if prayer is asking God for things, what sort of things am I supposed to be asking for? What are the requests I'm supposed to be bringing to God? And Jesus gives us seven examples. So far we've worked through the first three. We've worked through the first three uh, of those that, that God's name would be hallowed, that it would be holified, uh, that it would be held as, as sanctus, uh, that he would be given the worth, the glory, the honor, uh, the thanks, the power. We looked at what does it mean to when the Bible says that God's name would be treated as holy. Those are all the things that other verses in Scripture mention are tied to the holiness of God's name. Those aren't just, I didn't just choose to say worth, glory, honor, thanks, power. Those are all things, if you look back in your notes, that the Bible attaches to the holiness of God's name. Uh, We saw that we should pray that his kingdom would come, that his kingdom would be here. And then we just finished up that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would cherish and trust God's secret will and that we would do his revealed will. And so, I mean, that's like, what, like four or five months worth of teaching just summed up uh, in that time right there. So you're like, hey, I missed all those. Well, you just, you just got it all uh, right there and in much less time. Uh, so now we're on to the fourth request. So if you have your Bibles, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer again, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to take a look at this, really the second section of the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus, after having told them how not to pray, he then says, beginning in verse 9, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we pray all of these things. And Father, we ask that today your name would be hallowed here among us, that we would treat you as holy, as worthy, as glorious, that we would give you the thanks, the power that you deserve, that today would be all about you. We, we are so tempted to make even this day about us. And Father, I pray that in, in, in our gathering today, in our church, that Father, we would all be saying today, this is, this is about you, Lord. This is about you and your kingdom and your will. And so, Father, we lift you up today, chiefly and primarily. May you be glorified in our worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So here we are. We're at this fourth request. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, so that's the, the fourth thing. Now, the first thing I want us to notice, and this is what we're going to focus on really uh, today, is if you'll notice... With this fourth request, what do we have? We have a shift, a very obvious shift in the language of the prayer, don't we? We've got a shift from the first three requests are very what? Are very God-focused. So it's all you, like your, your, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But now, starting with the fourth request and then on down, it shifts to focus on us. Give us this day. Forgive us. Lead us not. Deliver us. So there's a shift in language. So before we jump into this fourth request, before we start looking at what does it mean to give us this day our daily bread, there are, I think, a few things we can learn about prayer just from the fact that the first three requests are focused on God and the next three or four requests are focused on us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at, if you've got your hand out, we're going to look at prayer priorities. Prayer priorities. What prayer teaches us about our priorities even in our prayer life. Okay? And so the first thing, uh, the first thing we're going to see the, about prayer priorities is that our first thoughts in prayer should be Godward. Our first thoughts in our prayer lives should be Godward. See, it's the very beginning. What, is, what are the first three requests? Your name be hallowed. Your will, or your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, I think God is trying to show us something intentional in this structure. It certainly seems very intentional. It, it's not, you know, there's one about God, and then there's one about us, and then there's back to one about God, and then back to one about us. It is very much structured to clearly be these requests to God and for God, not even just to God, for God, on God's behalf, our concerns for Him, and then our concerns for us. So it's not, it's not mixed up and it's certainly not us first and then the God stuff at the end, all of which, you know, Christ could have done, but he didn't. And that seems very intentional. I don't think Jesus accidentally, you know, placing these requests in this order. I don't think he just happened to start out with all the prayers for God at the beginning. He's showing us something. He's teaching us something, but he's not teaching us something new. 
He's actually teaching us something that we've already seen. This, this structure very, I think, clearly mirrors the Ten Commandments. You look back in Exodus chapter 20, you've got the two tables of the Ten Commandments, don't you? What is the first table of the Ten Commandments? They're all about our relationship with God. So when you look at how the Ten Commandments are split up, it's split up the same way. The first part of the Ten Commandments are all about us. They're all Godward. No other gods. No idols. Don't use the Lord's name vainly. You know, keep the Sabbath holy to the Lord. Right? Not even just keep the Sabbath holy. We forget. Keep the Sabbath holy to the Lord. So those are all Godward requests. But then, after those four, the second table sort of shifts. It deals with our relationships. All of them deal with our relationships with one another. And so what do you get? Honor your father and your mother. So it's not, it's not this way anymore, right? It, at first it is. It is all. No other gods. No idols. Don't use his name vainly. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy as to the Lord. But then the next group is all about our relationships down here. Honor your father and your mother. It's very much a down here relationship. Do not murder. Again, that seems to be, that's, if you want to ruin your relationship with somebody, you know, murder them. Uh, but that's, that's, again, a down here. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie about others. Do not covet other people's stuff. And here in this Lord's Prayer, we see a very similar structure to what we see in the two tables of the Ten Commandments. It begins with a Godward focus primarily and chiefly, and then goes to a, to a down here focus. Beyond that, what we ask for, so beyond just the fact that it matches Exodus 20, the other thing is what, what we ask for first shows what we're concerned for the most. And this is what we can see. In it. The, the, the thing you ask for first shows what you worry about the most. And it's true of other things. What's the, 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 the first thing that pops into your head in a situation? That's normally the thing you care the most about. Which is why when we get in the car, Leslie goes, where's Shepard? And all the other kids, great. You know, she never goes, where's Rebecca? Uh, you know, all the other kids are just upset. You know, like, uh, like Clay always hears, where's Chloe? Uh, no, never goes, where's Clay? Uh, you know, boys, teenage boys like, oh, they always worry about the other kids. Uh, you know, so when the first thing that pops into your head shows what you care about. And the first thing that you're praying about shows these are the things that you are concerned about. Yet many times in our prayer lives, God is not the chief or first concern of our prayers. He's not who pops up first in our heads when we pray. I mean, how often are we concerned with our needs and and our wants more than we are with him? I I, I mean, I dare say that we, if if you're anything like me and like I have been for sure, you, you are more likely moved to pray because of what you think you need rather than what you want for God's sake. We're, we're, I mean, we're moved to tears with anxiety. I mean, we, we moved to tears with anxiety about what other people think about us. But we're never moved to pray because of what others think about God. You know, when's the last time you've seen the world and you, you, you fell down on your knees? I mean, think about it. You, we'll fall down on our knees and say, Lord... What is this going to mean for my kids? This, but how many times have you seen the world and just fallen on your knees and said, Lord, 
your name is disparaged. And I can't stand it. And since I can't stand it, because my primary concern is you and your name and not me and my kids even, but, but you. And so when I see your name disparaged or when I see your people, you know, this is your kingdom. This is your world. And people are building, you know, you know, I was, this is what I was talking about at the abortion mill on Friday. I said I was the, 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 the Friday before last when I was there and they were shut down for, for New Year's and, uh, and, and, there was, and there was no one there. And I just was just sort of moved by the reality that this is, part of the world that God has made and someone has just built a place for the killing of his image bearers. And I was just like, and I was just, I mean, I was moved to just pray and say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will. So those sorts of things should be the, the things that motivate us more to pray even than ourselves. If you are always moved to pray because of you, because of what you're going through, and not move to pray because of what you think about God and how you want others to think about him, then that's a, that's a barometer on your prayer life. If you would always be moved about us, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. If, if, you're, if you're stuck or you're moved more by that second set of prayers than the first ones, then it's showing that what you need is a heart change about the importance of the Lord in your life. If that, if that side of the, of the world can get messed up and you, I mean, you instantly fall to your knees. But when, when how God is viewed, how God is treated, just makes you go, huh, stupid world, you know? And instead of going, Lord, instead of running to him, and crying out to him, Lord, hallow, you know, you got a neighbor, you got a neighbor that doesn't know the Lord. And, and instead of what you, you know, you're worried about, you know, what type of neighbor they are, what they're doing at night. And you're, you know, you're looking over there for all that stuff. And, you know, kids get inside, kids, kids get inside. Uh, instead of going, you know what, I wonder if that neighbor, I wonder if their life, is their life, you know, bringing glory to the name of God? And praying about those things, being concerned for those things primarily. When is the last time you were moved to tears because of things you wanted, not you to be blessed with, but because what you wanted God to be blessed with. You wanted him to be blessed with a whole world, giving glory to his name. See, this is, we even do this. When we talk, when we'll read verses like that one day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Normally what we think of when we say that is, man, then I won't have to worry about other people. Man, then things will be great for me. We start thinking, man, when God's glory covers the earth like waters cover the sea, I won't be crying anymore. There won't be any pain anymore for me. People I love will not perish anymore. But we don't think the greatest thing about God's glory covering the earth as waters cover the sea is he will be glorified. And that's what I care about. That's my primary concern. Now, the other things are great. But that's my chief concern. His name, his glory. So Jesus here is teaching us your, your primary concern in your prayer life should be Godward. If, if when you're praying, what motivates you is just you, then you're probably praying wrong. And so Jesus can be teaching us here, hey, you need to make sure these things are the first things you're praying for. You know, what motivates you to pray, you or God? And think about it. Do you, who, who spurs you to get on your knees? Whose name? Whose kingdom? Whose will? I mean, just look at the list. Do you love God more than you love bread? 
Do you love God more than you love your own forgiveness? Do you cherish him even more than your own deliverance? To where you can say, God, even if you do not deliver me, my primary concern before I ever get to Father, forgive me, is Father, you be hallowed. And if I don't die before I get to forgive me, I want to make sure if I'm dying and I'm praying, the first thing off my lips had better be your name and not me rushing to my forgiveness. I'll pray for your name. I'll pray for your kingdom. I'll pray for your will. And if I don't die before I get to my forgiveness or my deliverance, then good. But if I do, at least I've prayed the most important things first. I mean, if someone were to come in here and threaten to kill us all, and you realize that you're about to face holy God, would the first, first, first motivation of your heart be, Lord, forgive me? Or would it be, your name be hallowed? That's, the, that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Our primary, primary motivation, our first, not our only, but our first motivation in our prayers should be Godward. That's the level of love we're meant to have for God as his children. That's how concerned we should be for him even above care for ourselves. Uh, and we can see that by seeing what we pray for first. It is when we, we pray for this first, we pray, uh, we show what is our primary. And, and again, I'm not, uh, what I'm not doing is I, I'm not saying do this in some sort of lip service way. Because I used to do this. I used to pray, uh, it was like the Acts model of prayer. Or maybe it was the prayer model. I don't know. But they all began with either adoration or praise. And I, what I would do is I'd be like, all right, how many things do I need to say nice about God before I can get to what I'm really here about? Uh, I really want to pray for this. And this is the reason that I'm praying is I want to ask him about fixing this or doing this. But I know I've got to get the praise stuff out of the way. I know I've got to get the adoration. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just saying, uh, Father, your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, now that we've gotten that out of the way and then 30 minutes of us like blah about me, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is our heart's primary concern, the thing that should actually motivate us to pray, not the thing we get out of the way so we can ask God what we're really here about. I'm saying these should be our primary asks of God. Should be Godward. The things you go to God with primarily should be about things you want for him and for his name, for his kingdom, for his will. That should be our primary concern. Again, not just saying you get those out of the way, saying that's what should get you there to begin with. That should be the primary reason you're there. And if if it never is, then that's a problem. And you can ask God, God, hallow your name in my own heart. Because right now your name's not hallowed in my heart. My name's hallowed. Because the reason I pray is because of stuff for me. I want to start praying more about you and about your name. All right, very rarely, I'll have prayers that have nothing to do with you. I'll have prayers that are all about me. But when's the last time I had a prayer that had nothing to do with me and was all about you? That's what we want to be. That's where Jesus is showing us in in structuring the prayers this way. Godward is, is our primary focus. Now, the second thing. And, and also, uh, as important, is this prayer teaches us it is not wrong to pray for ourselves. Okay, because what can happen is, is what I'm not saying is you should just do the, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then stop, right? Because Jesus doesn't stop. He could have. Although God should be our first thought, God does not need to be, nor should he be our only thought. Sometimes it can feel wrong 
to ask anything from God. We're going to be like, you know, should I even be asking, you know, for God because he's been so good to me? Or is it even wrong to ask these things? That our minds should be, you know, so God-centered that we, I don't even think about myself at all. I mean, that's not what I'm saying either. Because that's not the example we see here. Again, Jesus could have just left it with the first three requests, but he didn't. It is, it, so it is, it is God who is teaching us to pray for his namesake, but also to pray for ourselves. Pray for the stuff that you need. And we're going to talk about why we do that in just a second. But think about this. Let me, is, is it wrong for your children to ask you for things? When your children come to you and ask you for things, do you go, how dare you speak to me, one? And then how dare you ask anything of me? Do you do that? No, we don't do that. And he gives a, and he's going to talk about this just in, in a couple of moments later in Matthew 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7. So you're in Matthew 6. Just flip a page over to Matthew 7. And Jesus, this is the example Jesus gives about us asking God for things. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It is okay for your children to ask things for you. Or from you? Are, you? are you angry when your child asks you for bread? Are you, are you angry when they ask you for food? Of course not. And God is not angry when we ask him for the things that we need. In fact, he is going to command us to ask. I say the problem is, is not that we ask. The problem is that we don't ask enough. We don't ask enough things from God. Now, this doesn't give us, you know, sort of, carte blanche to ask whatever we want to from the Lord and and we should be cautious if we can again only spend a a couple seconds praying you know your name be hallowed uh your kingdom come your will be done and then you know lift up our our needs for like the next 15 minutes you know so God gives us examples of things to to pray for ourselves you should pray for Brad Pray for your forgiveness. Pray for guidance. Pray for protection. As Christians, we're allowed to pray for ourselves. We're allowed to pray for our needs. God actually encourages us to do that. So don't feel bad when you ask God for things for yourself. God commands you to ask for the things that you need. He commands you to think about yourself. So Christian, it is okay to think about yourself. It is okay to think about your most important needs and to ask God to answer them. Now you want to make sure again, this is why this is is structured like this. Your primary concern is about the Lord. Your primary thoughts are Godward, but they're not just Godward. You also need to think about what do I need? What are my needs? And go to God with them. God commands you to ask for your bread. He commands you to ask for forgiveness. He commands you to ask for guidance, commands you to ask for deliverance. So God's not going to be upset when you do. And one of the reasons it's okay is the next point in in this prayer structure or our prayer priorities is what this teaches us that all of our needs, these last four requests, teach us that all of our needs are supplied by God, not ourselves. This is why it's okay to go to God. Because when we do go to God for this, we're recognizing I can't do these things. 
So when we pray for ourselves and for the things we need, we're actually glorifying God because we're turning to him for the answer rather than turning to ourselves or turning to the world. We're saying, God, if I'm going to get bread, it's going to come from you. God, if I'm going to get forgiveness, it's got to come from you. If I'm going to be guided, it better be by you. If I'm going to have protection, it better come from you. So how does that glorify God? It glorifies God, one, because it humbles us. And how often do we need that? It humbles us because it says, I I am coming to you, God, because I cannot supply these things for myself. And God has to tell us that over and over. Look, you're so prideful. You think you can even add a, a, you know, a day to your lifespan. You can't do anything. You can't add a single hair to your head. So when we come to him and we say, God, I need bread. We're admitting I can't supply even the most basic needs for myself apart from you. We're saying, God, I am not the one who feeds me. I am not the one who earns my forgiveness. I'm, I, I can't escape temptation. I can't deliver myself. So when we ask God for these things, we're admitting, God, I, I cannot Control my life, both the physical and the spiritual. I mean, this is a wide gamut of requests, right? You've got your your daily needs, bread. You've also got your eternal needs, forgiveness. You've got your physical needs, and you've got your spiritual ones. And we've got to turn to God for all of those things. It's not just earthly things that we ask of the Lord. It's not just eternal things that we ask of the Lord. You ask the Lord for both of those. I mean, can you get wider apart than bread today and forgiveness forever? I mean, bread right now, that's about the most basic thing you could need. I mean, this isn't even let them ask for cake. This is just bread, right? This is God, just give me bread today. But at the same time, also be praying and God, give me forgiveness. I mean, you can't have two disparate things. And sometimes we need a a reminder that we can't do these things for ourselves. And so this prayer ends with a list of things that we need God to do for us. And we need to remember that only God can do for us. And prayer in itself is is just in general. So it's not just, it's not just, prayer in itself is a humbling thing. I mean, I don't know how many times do people say, you've probably said it, I hate to ask. You ever said that? I hate to ask. And it's no different with praying, which is why there can be such a temptation for us not to pray. I can do this. I, don't, I, don't, I hate to ask God. I'm not going to ask. I can do this. I can handle it. No, you can't. These prayers for our daily needs, for our eternal needs, for our physical needs, for our spiritual needs, they remind us we're dependent on God. So it's, it, it glorifies God because it humbles us. It also glorifies God, not just by humbling us, it glorifies God because it honors him. So, so when we, this third thing, you know, our, our needs are supplied by God, not ourselves. It, it humbles us to recognize that, but it also honors God when we pray these things. It honors him because just like humbling, it was humbling because it says we can't do this. It honors God because when we pray these things, we say, but you can. 
God, you can do these. That's why I'm coming to you. Because you can do these things. You can provide these things that I'm asking for. I mean, the second half of the Lord's Prayer very much honors God. How can it honor God? It's about me. It honors God because it's turning to Him for these things. So yes, they're about things that you need. Bread, forgiveness, uh, you know, deliverance. I mean, these things of protection, these sort of things you can, that you're coming to, that you do need, but who are you coming to for them? You're coming to God. I mean, one of, our, one of our biggest problems is we think we can take care of these things. And then even when we realize we can't, the second problem on top of that is we turn to everyone else but God to take care of it. So it gets so frustrating sometimes in in our lives when we finally realize I can't handle this. And then we'll go to like the bookstore and go like, does it, has anybody written a book about how to handle these things? And we like, I don't know this person, but they have a book. Look, anybody can publish a book, right? Uh, Anyone can have a blog out there that, you know, 100,000 people read. Like, that's not impressive. And we'll go through and we'll pick this out and say, maybe this guy knows how to handle this. And God's like, you want a book about how to handle everything? I've given you one. So not only, so we either start out by turning to ourselves. And then when we finally realize, I can't turn, I can't handle it. We still don't turn to God. We turn to another person as broken and fallen as us. And here, the honoring thing to the Lord, when we pray this is we're saying, God, I can't answer it. No one else can answer it. It brings honor to him because we say, you can. You can answer it. You can. No one else can bring me these things. So it honors him because it turns to him. It also honors him in another way as well. It honors him because it treats God like a good God. It treats him as good and it treats him like God. That's how it honors him. We saw this mentioned in Matthew 7. When, when if, you, if you, you, know, you keep your finger there, what does he say? He says, when we ask these things of God, it shows that we're, we're treating him like a good father. You know, our kids come to us with requests because they know we love them. And they know when they ask for a fish, we're not going to give them a serpent, at least not a real one. And when they ask them for bread, we're not going to go, okay, and then give them a stone and say, ha. Well, I mean, we wouldn't do that. And God says, when we don't come to him with our requests, it's because we don't, either we don't expect him to answer or we expect him to answer in a bad way. He says, that's the only reason you wouldn't come to me is that you think you're a better father than I am because your kids know to come to you and you know you would never just, you would answer them and answer them the way they want. But so when we don't come to God, it dishonors him. Because it, is, it treats him like an unloving father. As it treats him as a worse father or a worse mother than you are. A worse parent than you are. And that's why when we go to him, it honors him. Because it says, God, I believe that I can ask you these things. You can do them and you will. That when I ask you for my daily bread, you're not going to give me a stone. That when I say, Father, I need a fish. That he's not going to send a serpent your way. And yes, you might not have asked God for, for fish before. I don't know. Uh, you might not have asked God for any of those things specifically. But do, not, do we not have this temptation? When we go to God and we ask these things, but in the back of our minds we go, I bet he's not going to do that. 
I bet he's really going to do this, and my life's going to go down this way, and this is going to be the path, and it's all going to blow up, and it's going to fall apart. And so we, I mean, this is, this is, that's what James talks about when he says that the prayers of doubting. We say, God, I need you to fix my marriage. But even as we're praying that, we're like, but he's not going to fix my marriage. Probably going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Then I'm going to respond this way, and this is going to happen. This is ultimately saying, God, either you can't actually do this, or God, you won't. You'll actually do something else. Of course, that's dishonoring to him. So when we come to him and we mean it and we know, God, you've got to do these things, it treats him as good. But it also, like I said, it honors him because it treats him as God. When we do not pray and we do not pray for God to supply our needs, we are treating God like a false pagan deity. Remember, remember the stories like in the Old Testament, the first Kings 18. Remember the stories like the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah or, or really they're littered throughout the Old Testament. Where these pagans are crying out to their gods. And they have to cry out and do more and more because their gods have no real power. Their gods aren't ever going to answer. So it's like funny. They're like, I can't believe these. they're crying out to the, you know, the eyes. So Isaiah talks about the idols that they take a piece of wood and they carve it. They're like, ah, that eye's off center. So let's make the eye a little bigger. And see, cause you don't want a God with like offset eyes, uh, you know, and then you set him up and he falls down. You're like, let me give him a bigger base. And then you get him done and you're like, ah, great God. And you know, you'll worship him. And it's like, how silly is that? Like you made, like you literally made that. Uh, and, and yet, and yet they will, they will cry out, but it's a pathetic cry. Cause what will their God do? Nothing. He has no real power. He doesn't care about them because he's not real. He's not, he's not alive. And yet when we don't pray, when we don't ask God to take care of the things we need, We're treating God as if he is just as powerless and just as uncaring as that piece of wood. We're acting as if he is not a real God. Remember, you can think about Jeremiah, Ezekiel, when he says, one of the things he will do, he said, I will be their God and they will be my people. When we pray and we come to God with our requests, we're actually honoring him. We're glorifying him by saying, you are good and you are God. You can do these things and you will do these things. So when we pray, Father, I need bread today. When we pray, Father, I need forgiveness. When we pray, I need guidance. We pray, I need to be rescued. We're saying, God, you are real and you alone can do these things. So so look look at your prayer life. How honoring is it to God? Are you treating God like God in how you pray? Are you praying like God is good? Are you praying like God is God? Or are you treating God like just another idol, just another man-made religion, just another figment of our imagination? The simple act of asking God to do these things you need brings honor to him. And so that's why Jesus says, yeah, you pray. You pray for the Father's name. You pray for his kingdom. You pray for his will. And then you pray these things for yourself. Why? Because God is real. And it hallows his name to do these things for you. It is his kingdom coming as he does these things in your life. He shows that he is king and that he reigns. It is his will to take care of his children. And so those things are met in the asking and the doing of these prayers. So come to God with these requests. And the last thing, and I want us to notice about this last section, 
What does it say? It doesn't say, give me my daily bread. Forgive me of my trespasses. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. So the last thing that I want to see is these are communal prayers. That the Lord's Prayer is a communal prayer. We saw this earlier. It isn't, you know, uh, my Father who's in heaven. It is when you pray, say, our Father. Here the request again is give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Again, the Christian life, even the Christian prayer life, even your prayer life is not a solo act. And remember what Jesus said about prayer. He said, you know, you go. He said, I want you to get away from everybody. I want you to go to a quiet place in an inner room where no one's around. And then you pray, even there, not give me my daily bread. Even there, your thoughts are not just on you. Even there, you realize that you are part of a body. You are part of a temple being built wholly to the Lord. People say if, if, if you know, you struggle with, with loving someone, just, just pray for them. Just start praying for them. And I think, I think that's good, but it might miss out on a problem in your heart rather than theirs. Because, which is this, they should already be a part of your everyday prayer life. When, you say, when you're praying for your bread, you should be praying for the bread of us all. You should be praying. When you say, God, take care of my daily needs, you're, it shouldn't be God just take care, take care of our daily needs. And the us should be us. It shouldn't just be about you. And so I, th- I always think it's funny when it says, you know, hey, if, if you have trouble with someone, you know, and you, you, you're, you're struggling to love them, start praying for them. You can go, yeah. The problem began long before this was set up because if you haven't been praying for them in your prayers to this point, I mean, the trouble began a long time ago. And it began, you know, normally we start saying that because they're being a problem in your life. But the reality is the problem started a long time ago in your love for them. If you haven't been praying for them in your prayers, if it's just been about you. So when you're asking for bread, it should be asking that the Lord would feed your brothers and sisters with you. When you're asking for forgiveness, it's not that just your sins that you're concerned with. You're pleading for the souls of those in your church body. When you're asking to be kept from sin, you're praying not just for your holiness, but for your father, for our father, not to lead us into temptation. You're seeking deliverance, not just for you, but deliverance for us. If in your prayer life, your prayers are me, 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 me focused, you can, of course, see a problem there. And so you can combine this with the first set of prayers that we just looked at. So, so our, our focus should be Godward, and then our focus should be usward. If an, instead of God, your focus is only on your needs, there's a problem. So if when you pray, you don't, you know, you don't think about uh, uh, others, you're just thinking about yourself, there's a problem. And it's, easy, it's all easily diagnosed. I mean, this isn't, this isn't something that we have to go, all right, guys. You know, this is going to be really hard to figure out if this is a problem for you or not. I mean, this, it's easily, to fig, easily diagnosed here. Just look at your recent prayers. Think about the last times you prayed. How many of your recent prayers were driven not just, not just had in them, but were driven by a desire for good to come to the name of God. And, and then compare that. How many have been about things that you're going through and are about you? What you're struggling with, what you've got going on. 
How many of your prayers have been asking, not just for God to supply what you need or what you'd like in your life, but how many times when you pray is your heart moved to us rather than you, us rather than me? That when you prayed and you, you wanted to ask for bread, you know that you needed bread. You dared not just stop with God, give me bread or God, this is a struggle. I've got this going on and, and I need to be delivered from this temptation or, or, or God, I want you to, to, to do this for me. But instead of just stopping there, your mind naturally thought not just about you, but about us. I mean, we, I mean, one of the problems that, uh, you know, people want to say, you know, problem with America is that we're too individualistic or whatever. It's all, I mean, the world has always been like that. Every civilization ever, uh, because they've been filled with selfish people. Uh, and there's always going to be a temptation for it to be just about you. And so we can even come to church and we can have trouble at church because we think other people weren't about us enough in church. Well, like I was there, but it was really hard. Why? Because I don't think really anybody was thinking about me. And you go, well, that's a, that's that's a, you know. I think the problem is you were just thinking about you. Uh, and you go, were you thinking about others? Yeah, I was thinking about how they weren't thinking about me. And I go, hey, you can see that. Can you see the problem here? Uh, instead, what are we supposed to do? I mean, in in our prayers, are they driven not just about me, but about us, about your brothers and sisters? about what they might need that you don't even know about. But you know the only one that can supply it. You may not know if they need daily bread, but you do know they need forgiveness. You do, you, you do want them not to be led into temptation. You may not, you may have, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know what Megan said. Megan can't be tempted with anything. She's Megan, right? What would Megan be tempted with? You know, I don't know what Leslie's tempted with. She's married to Chris. You know, maybe tempted with being too happy. I don't know. But the problem is we don't even consider each other in our prayers at all. I mean, we'll, we'll flood the Lord with all the temptations that we struggle with. But when's the last time we, we prayed, lead us not into temptation? Outside of a church context. Because again, this prayer in Matthew 6 is not happening in a church context. It's not happening in the church building where we're around. We've just had, you know, we, we've just finished our worship service and now we're going to pray and let's all pray for each other. This is alone in your room, no one around, no one can hear it. And yet your thoughts are not just on you, even when you're alone. And all this taught to us by the simple fact that the Lord begins these prayers with your name, your kingdom, your will, and then give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Just that simple difference in structure teaches us so much about what should be going on in our prayers and ultimately what should be going on in our hearts. So before we begin to look at give us this day our daily bread, I wanted to set that groundwork. This is where we need to be because we're about to jump into the us section. And if we're not careful, we will, we will marinate in the us and forget that we began with thinking about him, Godward, and then usward. Let's pray. Just as we take a moment, let's let's pray and let's pray. Let's pray to our God. Let's pray that His name would be hallowed, and that that would be one of our chief concerns in life. That we would worry more about his kingdom than our own. 
that we would worry about his will for our lives more than our own will, that we would even want that more than we want our own will for our lives. Just, just ask God, God, help make you the chief concern of my prayer life. Where I would, be, I would be moved to pray and moved to tears, not because of what's going on with me, but because of you and your name and your kingdom and your will. Those things. Ask that God would give you a heart like that. He would enlarge your heart. But then remember, it's okay to pray for the things you need, for the things we need. Because you're remembering that all of those things are supplied by God. So just right now, thank God. Thank him. Honor him. Glorify God by telling him, God, we recognize that all the things we need, only you can provide. We recognize that we cannot provide them. So we humble ourselves, God, and we come to you. You are the only one that can do these things. And we are so tempted to take up the hammer ourselves, to do it ourselves, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're so, so tempted to rely on us. And God, we know we cannot, even for the simplest things we might need, bread. Even that will come from you. Our, our temporary things, our eternal things, from you. Our physical things, our spiritual things, from you. And that that gives him honor. That glorifies him. Because we know he can and he will do those things. And he will do them for us. So remember, even right now, shift your mind away just from yourself. And think about the brothers and sisters who are here with you. The people that 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14 tell us that God has brought into your life. And that he has brought you into theirs. There are no hands that sit by themselves. There are no feet that exist alone. We are a body and our prayers should be body prayers. You should be thinking not just about yourself when you pray, but about one another. So ask God, God, help me to think about us rather than me. And that simple request opens up our prayers and opens up our love for one another. And maybe shows us where that love has been lacking. Godward and then usward. Father, we do come to you today. And Father, I pray our primary concern has been about you and your name and your glory. And if it hasn't, I I pray that we have been convicted in that. And I pray that we will confess and then do. That we we will confess and then get to work glorifying your name. All through the power that you will, you will supply. You're the one who even who gives us the recognition of our failure. You're the one who, who leads us out of any temptation. You're the one who delivers us. You're the one who forgives us. And so, Father, as we recognize these things, we know that even that recognition comes from you. Pray that we would glorify you and honor you. And then, Father, I pray that we would be a church that recognizes that we do have needs. We have physical needs. We have spiritual needs. And all of them can be answered only by you. That we, in a world, it can be so easy, in a world filled with false gods, to treat you just like the rest of the world treats their false gods. But I want to treat you as real. As good. And you tell me, if I believe those things, then what I will do is pray. And I ask God, that you would teach us to pray. 
that you might be glorified in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.